What's up, y'all? It's your boy, guest speaker, here with you. Excited to be back with you guys. It's been a long time, and I'm just glad to be back with you, talking with you, and getting to walk with you through this. Today, we're looking at First uh, Timothy chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. This is a, an amazing text for us because this is a stark reminder. Oftentimes, we forget that the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And so today, we're actually looking at a text really from Paul, the apostle, talking to Timothy, the church leader. And so we, as the church body, get to see kind of behind this curtain that shouldn't really exist anyway in this unparalleled moment of transparency where we as the body get to hear the church leadership talking by the Spirit of God about what the church structure is supposed to look like. And so today we're looking at something from Paul to Timothy, but we as the church body, we have an obligation and responsibility in submission and in relation to our leadership that we get to see to in today's text. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, we are so grateful that you, by your Spirit, took the time to explain how your people are supposed to be structured. And so, God, we thank you for the calling that you've put on the lives of those we're going to discuss today. We thank you for the relationship that we get to have with them and the fact that that relationship we have with our leadership in the church is by your grace. And so, God, we ask that this time would be a time um, of learning more about who we are and how we're supposed to act in light of who you are and who you've called us to be. So, Father, by this time, would you enable us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've put on our lives? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17. And this is ultimately, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and we're going to be talking about elders today. So, starting in verse 17. Paul says, hey, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so the Greek here for elders is actually slightly, it's a different word than what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it's a more general word. So when we talk about elders, we're, we're really talking about all the pastorate now that we're looking at. So we're still holding the standards and all of the ideas and beliefs that we've discussed from 1 Timothy chapter 3. That still applies to all these people. But now instead of the elders and the overseers, we're looking at more of the people who are working in the pastorate. So all those who work to shepherd the flock. So we're thinking pastors and we're thinking overseers, the elders, everybody in this larger group. And then we're also looking particularly at those who are teaching and preaching. So all of the elders are to strive to rule well. And I know that we in America, uh, particularly as Americans, we struggle with this idea of being ruled. Our entire country was founded on not wanting to be ruled by someone distant. So we need to remember that when we talk about the elders who rule well, there's a power distance in this church and in this culture that we can't necessarily relate directly to. And so don't flinch when we say rule well, because ultimately let the elders who oversee well, who care and shepherd for their flock well, is what we're talking about. So those who, who take their role seriously, who strive to do it well, and they do, let them be considered worthy of double honor. And so we're looking at those who, those who work hard should be 
even, let's say, paid well. They should be esteemed highly, but we should also support them financially. If you remember what the, what the term honor means from when we're caring for the widows and giving them honor, that, that theme still applies here. So we're honoring those who work well. We're esteeming them highly. We're submitting to them. We're cheering for them. And we're also going to pay them well, especially those who labor or those who work hard in the preaching and teaching. So that what we're looking at in this option of, of preaching and teaching in the way the elders relate to the congregation and the body, you need to remember that your elders and your shepherds, the shepherds spend a lot of their time shepherding, not just teaching. So the guys who are shepherding, who are already overseeing, who are already handling the daily affairs of the church, who are weeping with those who weep, they are rejoicing with those who rejoice, they're shepherding their small groups, they're handling their ministry, they're planning, they're doing all of this stuff, they're caring for your souls. And then those who do that, in addition now, they take on the extra role and task of preaching and teaching to the body at large. So they're handling their ministry well. And then, in addition to that, they're taking on this extra responsibility for the entire body, the entire congregation of the church to preach and teach. And this isn't a lightly held thing. If you look at James chapter 3, James tells everybody, hey, you should not it's not an easy task to be the preacher and the teacher because when you start expounding, ex ex exegeting the Word of God to people, when you start speaking on behalf of God, you take on a very high accountability. Now you're not just accountable to your flock for shepherding them and being with them in those moments that they need you in and want you in. Now you're ultimately and in a more high way, you're accountable to God because you're representing Him. So if you teach something errantly or you don't study enough, you have to not answer to your congregation. You might, but ultimately you're answering to God for all of that. And so the accountability is high. So when those guys who are shepherding well then take on this added responsibility and try and find extra time to prepare and study and do a good job of preparation to preach and teach, those guys are doing a ton of work and they're working hard and they don't take it lightly. And so what Paul's saying is to Timothy, hey guys, back them up, support them, consider them worthy of double honor. These guys are doing all of the work of a normal elder, and then they're stepping into an even bigger, harder, more time-consuming task and role. And so consider them worthy. Make sure that they're taken care of. Pay them well, especially when they're doing this. It says, he, he uses scriptural support for this. And all the way from Deuteronomy, uh, he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Talking about, don't keep somebody who's doing hard work from enjoying some of the benefits of that labor while they're working. And then also he quotes, ultimately he quotes Jesus um, in Matthew chapter 10 when he says, the laborer deserves his wages. Jesus sends his disciples out and says, hey, take what they give you because you're doing this work and you deserve your wages. So don't worry about all this extra stuff that you would normally have to take. That's going to be provided to you by the people to whom you're ministering. Paul also uses that, that idea of the laborer deserving their wages in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So ultimately what we're getting to here is you as the body, your responsibility to this, this part of the text, when Paul is telling Timothy, hey, consider these guys worthy of double honor. You need to know that your part as the body, you need to know, love, and support those who watch over you. So what I mean by that is you need to be in relationship with them. They're shepherds. And your, your responsibility in being shepherded by them, you need to get to know them. You need to know who they are, what they do. You need to love them. You can't love them until you know them. 
You need to know their story. You need to spend time with them. You need to really appreciate who they are and out of who they are, what they do for you, how they provide for you, how they minister to you, especially these guys who are racking their heads against walls in other languages, trying to prepare something that God is putting on their heart for you in this time of preaching and teaching. And ultimately, you need to know them, love them, and support them because they're doing all this, they're working so hard on your behalf because they love God and they love you and they're trying to help you love, live, and share Jesus wherever you go. So you need to support them. And I break that down into two, two facets. You need to pray for them. You need to pray for them specifically. You need to pray for them consistently. You can't do that unless you know them and love them, but also you need to pay for them. They're doing a very difficult job and they're doing it well. Paul is saying. So you need to be willing to pay for them. You need to be willing to support them because of the work that they're doing. Their inheritance ultimately is the Lord and the Lord provides for them to do His work through you who are benefiting from it. So we need to know, we need to love, and we need to support those who watch over us as the body. That's our obligation to those who are ruling well. Paul goes on to the next couple verses um, and he, he gives us this in 19 and 20. So we're moving those who who teach well, who, who do their job well, take care of them, make sure they're supported well. And then in verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So going back up to the top, there are two thoughts here in this, in this bit that we want to address. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. We need to understand that those who are in these roles, particularly preaching and teaching, but those who are overseeing and who are elders functioning as they should, shepherding the flock, they have a public ministry. And oftentimes those who are in the spotlight also become targets. And we need to remember that. So Paul is telling Timothy, look, people are going to gossip. These elders are going to do something that's going to smart for some people. These elders are going to say something that's going to dig at some people. It's just natural. When you're speaking on behalf of God to people, people get offended. People get convicted and they don't know how to process that. And so Paul is, is saying you need to protect and stand up for your shepherds. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. What Paul is saying here is do not tolerate gossip. If somebody comes to you and says, oh, one of your elders said such and such, one of your elders did such and such, one of your leaders did this or said this, he's saying, don't give it, don't give it your time. Don't give it your energy. You need to stand up for your elders. Remember, they're supposed to be above reproach. And that means somebody who you can't even bring a charge against because it wouldn't stand. So Paul's saying you need to defend and you need to protect them. But he's also saying here, he's giving biblical principles and all the way from Deuteronomy chapter 19, the principles for witnesses and how to go against charges. And then he's also coming in and he's giving his, he's giving his elders here, Paul, by the Spirit of God, is giving his elders the, the chance to actually experience Matthew 18 and accountability within the body. You don't go to the church leadership until you've gone to the person who sinned against you. And if they consistent, if they continue in sin, then you bring witnesses. And then if they continue in sin, then you go to the church leadership. So what Paul is saying is, yeah, they have a public ministry. You need to protect them in that because people are going to start coming against them. We remember that the enemy has set traps against the leaders of the church because he hates them. And so we need to, we need to stand on behalf of our elders. And, and as church leaders, they need to be supported. So if you have an issue with the church elder, you don't go to Pastor Greg. 
You don't go to Justin. You don't try and bring this up and come in a roundabout way. And Pastor Greg and Justin, the church leaders' responsibilities for the elders and for each other is to, to respond to those who bring a charge and say, you know, I appreciate that you think this is an important issue. Why don't you go to that individual and try and sort this out? They're a spiritually mature individual. You are a spiritually mature individual. Why don't you both be mature together and work this out together in the Spirit of God? We're not supposed to take this because then that leads to gossip. And when we say two or three witnesses, what we need and what we're saying here is not this person brings a charge and this person heard about the charge, so now they're here as a witness. That's called gossip. When we're talking about witnesses, we're saying people who've seen the, the, the account and they can give an honest representation of what happened, whether that's the first account or whether that's, hey, I was with them, they went to the person, they went to the elder, the elder just said, whatever, I don't care, and is continuing in what they're doing. Now you've got witnesses and now you have something that you need to do. You need, you need to act on this as a church leader. But our responsibility as a church body Body here is we need to hold our leaders in respect and accountability. Too often we forget the respect part and we just jump into the accountability portion. Oh, we need to hold these guys accountable. They represent us. They represent Olive Branch. Or they, sometimes people in the body even think like, I pay Olive Branch. Like these people need to do what I say because. And unfortunately, I have personally not at Olive Branch, uh, but I've run into this experience being a pastor's kid too. And um, I would like to remind you that the part of holding your leaders and church in respect is also that you are not simply a minority or majority investor in the stock and the ministry of Olive Branch, and so they answer to you. You are investing your funds in the ministry that God is doing, and God has brought these leaders here to Olive Branch on behalf of Him to minister to you. So we hold our leaders in respect, but we also remember here in this text that there is open accountability. A public office requires public rebuke. And so after you've gone through all of these stages from Matthew 18, and now it's an issue for the church leaders, the church leaders, Timothy and, and the board, come to this individual elder or these people who are in sin, and they try and hash it out. And Paul says in verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them. And he doesn't say rebuke them and send them out quietly. He says rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. There's a wonderful saying uh, from the country we work in. And uh, it's, it's this idea of accountability. And it says from the tiger to the fly, no one is exempt from discipline. So in the church, we need to remember that there is really no curtain that the, the leadership should be hiding behind. And so um, this public office gets public discipline as well. Once you've gone through all these steps in Matthew 18, the final step for church discipline is the, it's brought before the entire church. And the reason for doing this, Paul lays out here, is so that the rest may stand in fear. And we're not talking about, oh, I'm afraid of my leadership. We're talking about fear of sin and the reality of what it is because we need to remember sin is a dangerous thing. We think of sin as a tiny little ember, sometimes a glowing spark, and it's something that you can see and you can play with, but you shouldn't because it takes one tiny little ember to light hundreds of thousands of acres of forest on fire. And it's a dangerous thing. It's not something to be played with or taken lightly. And so when we do this church discipline, particularly even with elders in public places, this is so that the rest of the body is reminded about how serious sin is. And they stand in fear, not wanting to do that, but pursuing God instead of their own flesh. So we need to hold our leaders as the body in respect, but we also need to also remember respect doesn't just mean turning a blind eye to everything they do because of their position. There's accountability in that too. We are all functioning for the glory of Christ and we're all to hold each other accountable for that.
So we need to hold our leaders in respect and accountability. It's a very public thing. This is transparency again. This is unmatched in this world. You can buy privilege. You can buy rights in, in, in the time of Paul's living, and you can see it even in today. People who buy esteem and power often get away with a lot more than those who can't. Not so in the church. We're all equal before Christ. We all have equal standing. We all have equal value. And so God loves the elders enough that he's going to discipline them in a public manner. And he loves you enough that if he needs to, you will be disciplined in a public manner too by the church because we take sin seriously. So we as the body hold ourselves accountable. We hold our leaders accountable, but we also show them respect. We don't gossip about them. We don't try and bring false charges or unfounded charges against them. Give them the respect that they do, and then we can give the accountability that they deserve. So that's that, the respect and accountability. We move into verse 21, and verse 21 is a very sobering verse for anyone in church leadership. And hopefully as we in the body move forward through this verse, it becomes sobering for us, and it's a good reminder for us. Verse um, 21, Paul says to Timothy, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So I want us to appreciate this. We have, as elders or leaders in the church, first and foremost, we have an eternal audience. And this is something I think oftentimes people in the body maybe forget um, or they don't remember right away or right off the bat when they think of church leaders. They think of, oh, he's a good speaker or, oh, he's a great organizer or, oh, he loves us so well. What they don't remember is that church leadership especially, we are constantly caught in the remembering that our first and foremost important audience in our work is the one who called us to our work. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying here, guys, in the presence of the entire host of heaven, the whole host of heaven, I'm giving you this charge. In the presence of the creator, the redeemer, the one who purchased you out of your sin, made everything in your relationship, gave you the opportunity to have a right relationship with God, the Creator, the Redeemer, and the caretakers. He says the elect angels. All of those who watch over and care for the church, the whole host of heaven is listening when I give you this charge. Keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. The only thing or person to whom you should ever be partial as the leader of a church is Christ alone. And so the whole idea and and, and momentum and focus for the church leader should always be, I do what I do, I work like I work, I love like I love because Christ. And so I think we as the church body, we ought to appreciate the stakes for our leaders. And what I mean by this is they, your church leaders live in the constant reality that God is watching and that God has called them and that they are working not for you, but for him. And so we, as the church body, need to appreciate this. We need to especially understand those who step in to these preaching and these teaching roles, they don't do it because it's easy. They might be good at it, but they don't do it because it's easy. They don't do it for the glamour. 
they don't do it for all this. They do this because God has put such a burden on their heart and in light of the reality of who they serve and the things that He's done and what He's called them to, they step into these roles, these ministries, in addition to what they're already doing on your behalf to care for your soul. And they know that they are not fully accountable to you primarily. They are fully accountable to God the Father. And so when Paul is giving these instructions to Timothy for his church leadership and how they're supposed to go about this, he's giving these things to Timothy because God cares deeply for his church. And so Paul reminds Timothy, even in this, in this time of elder stuff, he says, don't do anything without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. So what he's saying here, we're kind of in a transitional point here where he's saying when it comes to people coming to you, don't dismiss or accept these charges based on your feelings or your relationship with your elder or with the pastor. What he's saying is if you love that guy a lot, don't just turn away any charges because you're like, no, I love this guy. He's my friend. I, I care deeply for him. I refuse to accept this. But he's also saying, if you have issues with your leadership, if you don't get along well with your elders or with your pastors, he's telling Timothy as the church leader, our pastors are under the charge. Don't just look for things to be wrong with these people so you can complain about them and then try and hold them accountable to get rid of them and run them off. Do nothing from partiality. You love these guys. You spend a lot of time with these guys. And when you spend a lot of time together, you have moments where you hate each other and you have moments where you love each other. And so Paul's reminding him, guys, you do your work with the audience of the whole host of heaven. And so it's on their behalf that I'm charging you. Do it for Jesus. Don't do it for your tendencies or your preferences in people. Don't appoint elders just because they're your friends or they're yes men. Don't Get rid of people because you have issues with them. Don't accept charges because you love the person bringing the charge. Don't rebuke or turn away a charge because you love the person against whom the charge is being brought. Operate with objectivity by the Spirit of God because the church needs to, first and foremost, be represented by people who are above reproach, who are honest, and who are not swayed by earthly things. So appreciate the stakes for your leaders. They operate, we operate in that reality in a daily Um, facility, when we are doing any of our ministry, when we're working, when we wake up, when we're eating, when we're preparing our messages, we realize we have this audience and it weighs heavily. It really does. And so this is, this is a great way for you as the body. Just appreciate the stakes for your leaders. It's not just a wake up, prepare something and go. This isn't just a research paper. They're, they're really caring for your souls and they realize that God cares deeply for your souls too. So appreciate the stakes for your leaders. And now we're going to get into uh, some more instructions from this. So don't do anything from partiality. Don't, you, you, you need to be objective in this. And then in verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So we need to, we need to realize that these elders, that your church leaders, are not to be hasty in the appointing of church leadership. We have, um, as church leaders, we, we have to observe these people in these roles first. We have to be able to see the way they interact in ministry. That way we can confirm God's calling on that person to that ministry before we can commission or ordain the calling of God on these men and set them apart. And so we see this laying on of hands. In Acts 13, Paul himself had hands laid on him by the church leaders. And what happened was he was already doing church ministry. 
And then the elders, the, 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 the leader leaders, were told by God, hey, I have set them apart. You see the ministry. And now I'm telling you explicitly, I have set them apart for work. So commission them to the work. And so as church leaders, when we're bringing someone on staff, you'll notice at Olive Branch, they don't just come on and we don't just say like, oh yeah, this is the pastor of da-da-da-da-da. We'll give them a different title, giving them the opportunity to prove and confirm God's calling on their life. So we need to give these people as church leaders, we need to give these people who come on staff or who are volunteering or who are taking on these leadership roles, we need to give them, for their sake, a testing period before we uh, before we put these titles on them and this this weight of, of the ministry on them. We need to make sure that they really are called and that they really are equipped by God and that they really are skilled in this area so that we can then commission them. So this enables us to get to know people better and more closely. And this is why. So that we don't take part in the sins of others and we can keep ourselves pure. If somebody comes in and they're a dynamite speaker or they're great at facilitating things and we just immediately appoint them to things without getting to know them, that's dangerous for the church because they might be really good at this and we might see that, but we might not see other things in their lives. And so we need to give them that period so that these things can come out so that we aren't approving accidentally of an individual sin or we aren't accidentally participating in abuse of our sheep as shepherds by putting somebody in that. So we need to keep ourselves pure. We need to proceed with caution in these times. And then we see some medical advice from uh, Paul. He tells Timothy, hey, don't drink water only anymore, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And so what we're seeing here, this is kind of an aside. Paul's not like, oh, and speaking of sin, let's talk about drinking wine. Paul's giving some, some instructions here, and he's giving them an almost like a rapid fire sequence here at the end of our chapter. What we're seeing here is Paul saying, hey, you've put yourself under a vow perhaps to abstain from any appearance of evil and thus not drink any wine. But the water of this time was not like your Dasani or your Aquafina or even your tap water. It was not always clean and it could go sour very quickly. And so a lot of people would actually drink wine before drinking water or drink wine in addition to water because of the purifying uh, faculties of wine could actually keep you healthy versus the water going sour or rancid and then you're getting sick. And so Paul's saying, look, you're under a lot of stress. I see you've taken this vow. It's a beautiful thing, but you really need to let's start mixing some wine in because I think that's going to be better for your health. So he's saying, he, he puts this in here, don't participate in other people's evil, don't lay hands on this, keep yourself pure. In this facet right here, you need to start drinking some wine for your own personal health, pursue health. And then in verse 24, um, Paul, Paul again gives this warning, like don't be hasty in laying on of hands, don't take part in the sins of others. This is why, because the sins of some men are conspicuous or obvious. They go before them or they point to a judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So don't be hasty in entering these guys into the fold. Don't be hasty in laying hands on and approving these guys and giving them a platform or an audience for any reason. Because you see the sins of some people are obvious. But you can't just be like, oh, they seem to be without sin. Let's go ahead and appoint them. Because it says also, but the sins of others appear later. Things that are done in the dark, Jesus promises us, will be brought to the light. And that's not just sins, because in verse 25, Paul says, So also good works are conspicuous. So some good things are easy to see. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So we see here that we should, uh, we should appreciate the caution of our leadership, because oftentimes when you first see somebody 
um, unless you have a really strong dis or gift of discernment, it's difficult to see all the good and all the bad in somebody until you really get to know them. So Paul's saying, don't be hasty. Take your time. Give a season to really observe them. Let them practice. Give them the opportunities. Guide them. Walk alongside them. Don't be quick to point them. Proceed with caution of your leadership. So we need to appreciate and support that because they're, they're not hasty to appoint things to fill positions. We as a church should never be in a situation where, we need, where we're filling a position simply because we think we need it or there's a vacancy. We wanna proceed with caution. We wanna give a season of testing. That's why we bring people in the way we do. That's why we don't just bring them in and, and assign them a title right away of pastor or elder. We give them a season. We give the, the body an opportunity to experience this and affirm or, or deny a call on somebody's life. So. That's why we have these relationships. And these are all relationships of body in the church to leadership in the church. And now we're going to transition into a slightly different relationship. There's still, uh, as you equal in value, but distinct in role situation here. We're going to move over into another topic that could be a little bit dicey, um, talking about slaves and masters. Paul brings these people into. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Let all who are under a yoke of slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And so we see here, now we're looking at a different type of relationship. Um, but what Paul is saying, and this is confirmed over and over and over, is that we as um, as those who are under leaders, we need to submit to them and we need to remember that we're not simply submitting to these people because um, of a role. We're submitting to the, our leadership because ultimately we realize we serve a higher master. And what Paul's saying here is, let all those who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And then he goes on, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and are beloved. So we need to understand Christianity arose in a time when, uh, in a social setting ultimately, where slavery was commonplace. And while you may never see Jesus or Paul or other New Testament writers or leaders ever call for a violent revolution or overthrow of this institution of slavery, and I don't I don't believe that that would have worked anyway. You do see them establish a society, the church, wherein all the foundations for slavery of racism and greed and class hatred, they are not welcome in the church. And all of that is undone by the truth of the gospel. And so we see this in this, this moment here. And so Paul is saying, whether you are a slave or, or to a non-believer or a slave to a believer, whether you support and work for the gain of a believer or a non-believer, you need to be working ultimately for the Lord because you need to ask yourself, are your actions leading people to God or are your actions leading people away from God? And ultimately in Colossians chapter 3, we see that slaves are, are told to serve like you're serving Jesus. Work like you're working for Jesus. Do everything as unto the Lord. And he even tells the masters in, in Colossians 3, Relate to your slaves knowing that you have a master in Christ. And then in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, we see a promise by the Spirit of God that those who abuse their slaves, even to the point of death, there will be exact punishment and judgment for them too. And so we need to, as those who work for people, in the words of the great poet Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. 
We need to respect the position, but realize that we ultimately serve the master. As we work in our Monday through Friday with other people, and as we go to church on the weekends and we engage with our leadership and our leaders in all of these facets, we need to respect the position and ultimately submit to the master. So what I'm getting at here, ultimately, whether you're in church or, or you're in the workplace, First um, Thessalonians verses 5, chapter 12, they say, we ask you guys, just respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So in two, two ways, I would ask you to walk away from this message. One, I would ask you to, to commit to consistently pray for your leadership. Set aside five minutes a day and pray for your leaders. Do that specifically and consistently. Pray for them by their name and pray for them by need. And in order to do that, you need to get to know your elders and your leadership. So you need to communicate with them. I would encourage you, take them to lunch or dinner. Share meals with them. Share time with them. Ask them their story. Not just shop talk, but get to know them as a human being and as a person, their family. And then ultimately encourage them. Whether that's through a text message or a thank you card or time together encouraging them, thanking them for what they do when you see them at church. Spend time investing emotionally, prayerfully, financially in your church leadership because they work hard for you. And they work hard because God has called them to that. A lot of them could do things really successfully outside of the church, but God's put a calling on their life for you because God loves you. And so God loves you enough to put them in your life. And I think God loves them enough that he wants to put you in their life as well. So let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much that we get to be a part of this community, Lord, that you have called us by your grace to yourself. And in calling us to yourself, you've surrounded us with others. And so, Father, I just pray for the community of Olive Branch that you would heal wounds, that you would unite in your name, and that you would bring us together in a sweet unity for the sake of your glory. And so, Father, I pray for the elders. I thank you for them. I, I um, Lord, just thank you for the tasks and the burdens that they fulfill and they carry on our behalf for your name. And so, Father, I just pray that you would encourage them. You would give them strength and energy and excitement for the role that you've called them to. And, Father, I pray for us as a body that you would give us the attention to pay them um, and to care for them, to love them. Lord, that you would enable us to encourage them and to be a source of joy for their ministry and not uh, a source of pain. And so, Father, thank you so much for your grace. And I just pray that we as a body would be able to move forward in love, that people would know we're your disciples, particularly in our transparency from our leadership to our body, our body to our leadership, and Lord, ultimately, our transparency with the world, that they can see that we are people who love you deeply and we love each other, even um, those in leadership and authority and those in the body. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.